All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome into the May 5th edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Tyler Yaramchuk and Frank Saravalli with you for 30 minutes of straight hockey talk as the Stanley Cup playoffs, Frank. The first round is always excellent. This year has been no different. Every night, it feels like there's one or two games that are just insane. Yeah, I, I was kind of disappointed a little bit with Wednesday night's action in night three of the playoffs. A bunch of blowouts. We always hope for some drama and close games, and they weren't. none of them were really close on night three. Yeah, but I see, and I got a lot of, uh, and maybe it was more just chuckling at the antics, but Boston Carolina was another spicy one. Edmonton responding the way they did was entertaining, at least from being in that building. Uh, so let's start there. So two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock, and let's dig into the Oilers stomping the LA Kings in game two of the series, 6 nothing the final. And Frank, before I get your take on this, as you can see some numbers, I mean, Connor McDavid, two assists, he didn't get a goal. He had four hits. He was very physical, took a boarding penalty. But the ice time was something that I really noticed in this hockey game for the Edmonton Oilers. If you look, Connor McDavid, 16.52. Dreisaitl barely over 15. Only two Oilers were over 20 minutes on the night. And it was Evan Bouchard and Duncan Keith. Bouchard picked up a lot of those minutes late in the game, getting some power play time as well. Um, That's huge for me in a best of seven. If you can have a game that you win while also resting a bunch of your key players and not having to play them 25, 26 minutes. I think that could go a long way in this series. The question I have for you, Frank, after this win, would you consider Edmonton as being back in the driver's seat in this series? 
Yeah, I would. I know it's they're just at level ground at 1-1 in the series, but the way that they responded in Game 2 I thought was really significant. It was Leon Dreisaitl flying. You mentioned McDavid being physical. Um, Mike Smith getting his first win in the playoffs in 11 starts. Had Game 1 sort of unfolded a little bit differently at the end, not with the Mike Smith gaffe. I feel like the feelings would have been a lot different. It wasn't just that they lost, but also the way that they ended up losing. For large stretches of that game, even though in Game 1 they were chasing a bit, never had the lead, I really kind of felt somewhat comfortable with the Oilers and the way that they had played for the most part. And so you you have a response like you do in game two. I think the Oilers are clearly the better team. I think, you know, the Kings have been a little bit more strategic in terms of the way that they've played. I thought the Oilers did a better job managing the matchup game in game two. And I think there's a lot of positives for the Oilers to look for and feel heading into game three in L.A. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned they managed the matchups a little bit better. And part of it may have been taking away some minutes and maybe picking the spots better for McDavid and Drysaddle. But they also went with the 12 and 6 approach here. Josh Archibald in the lineup. And also the interesting point, and Archibald's a guy who brings a bit of that physicality to the Oilers' bottom six. He helps out on their penalty kill. He can travel now. He's got a note from his cardiologist. Even though he's unvaccinated, he can cross the border. So that's a player Edmonton will be able to keep in their lineup as the series heads down to LA and they'll look to uh, get home ice advantage back tomorrow night at crypto.com arena. Another team who had a big response, Frank would be the Minnesota wild. And there was three first period goals. They came out of the gates, just flying and Kirill Kaprizov eventually finished off the hat trick. What stood out to you in the wild six, two win over the blues? Well, Kaprizov getting the first wild hat trick in franchise history in the playoffs was big, but it wasn't just the three goals. It was really his his game as a whole, because that was one of the real alarming parts to me from game one was how good of a job St. Louis had done taking away Kaprizov's time and space. And in addition to that, he just looked like a player that was really frustrated through game one to see him come back out in game two, the way that he did, I think is a huge boost for the Minnesota wild uh, Mark Andre Fleury as well. We talked a little bit in yesterday's show about the idea of the confidence factor with Mark Andre Fleury, how maybe in the past going back to the Matt Murray Pittsburgh cup runs, going back to Pete DeBoer in Vegas uh, with the, the sword in his back that I think maybe there was this question of, does the coach trust me? Is he confident in me? And the fact that they went back to Marc-Andre Fleury in game two when they could have easily pivoted to Cam Talbot, I think is a huge feather in the cap of Fleury in terms of that confidence moving forward. And he rewards them with um, a pretty big effort in game two. He was outstanding, especially through the first 40 minutes in that game. And also really the way in which the Wild remained patient. You know, the first 10 minutes of game two, the Blues really dominated play and and it looked like the Wild were on their heels a bit. They took advantage of a big mistake, uh, an error, not even really Robert Bortuzzo's fault. He breaks his stick. uh, It explodes on him and they capitalized. The Wild did pretty quickly uh, in putting the puck behind Billy Husso. And and really after that, the game changed. So um, the Wild... Now get back to level ground. I think we all believe this is going to be a long series. And to see it play out with two really lopsided games to start, it kind of really makes you wonder what it's going to look like when the series gets to St. Louis. 
Yeah, you mentioned, you know, they get that one goal and momentum flipped and they were able to kind of take over the game from there. One thing I looked at as well was their power play. They go two for three with the man advantage. In game one, they went 0 for six. They had three power play opportunities in the first period of game one. And you looked at how they responded after finally getting a goal. And I kind of sit there and go, man, maybe if they would have gotten a power play goal early and gotten some momentum earlier in game one, maybe it would have been a little bit of a different story in the series opener. But regardless, the series is evened up at one as it heads over to St. Louis. One series that was not evened up last night was Carolina Boston. And when you look at this Bruins team right now, there is just not a lot of good going on. And you got the smirk because you said it from the start, Frank. You didn't really believe that this Bruins team could keep up with the Hurricanes. And now when you put, we could throw it up here, the head-to-head matchups between these two teams, including the regular season, yeah, it looks like in on every occasion, the Bruins are simply overmatched by the Hurricanes, right? 26 to 4. I mean, a lot of times we take the head-to-head matchup in a season and we throw it out. We say, you know what, that was the regular season, doesn't mean anything. Sometimes... One team just has an opponent's number, and that's what it feels like in the case with Carolina. I think the two games, one and two, were very different. I don't know that when you look at the, the game one score at five to one, you say that was really a five to one game. I don't know if the score was quite indicative of how close the play was for a large stretch of it. But in game two, the Hurricanes just absolutely blew the doors off the Bruins. The Bruins look frustrated. David Pasternak really struggled. Uh, Bruce Cassidy saying this morning that they're going to Jeremy Swayman. No surprise for game three at TD Garden. And more than that, they're also now going to be down Hampus Lindholm, who was injured in game two. So Linus Olmark here exits the series with an 860 save percentage. And I actually kind of feel for him because... I don't know that he really did all that much wrong. You know, the the Her- the Bruins sort of left him out to dry with the Hurricanes able to capitalize on a number of different mistakes. And now the Hurricanes in a series that a lot of people thought would be close. Many thought that the Bruins could could find a way to take this series against the Metropolitan Division champs. The Hurricanes just look to be rolling right along. And it's funny because we haven't mentioned at all Piotr Kochetkov, the Hurricanes' third goalie, who ends up coming in uh, spelling Antiranta, who was down again, as you see here. What a graphic here from our technical (laughs) producer, Alex Allard. And Kochetkov now has four straight wins to start his NHL career. So um, I don't think it matters who's in net. And I say that with all due respect to Jeremy Swayman starting game three. Yeah, and I mean, you could argue it doesn't matter who's in net for the Canes as well, because it seems like they're just going to roll, whether it's their backup or their third string. When Ranta went down on that play from Pasternak, I thought for a second that was going to be like a series turning moment. Like, all right, maybe Boston in a weird, twisted way, like builds some momentum from this. As you see, Pasternak was ultimately only given a two minute minor here. Um, That looked I thought maybe that was going to be a turning point and it wasn't. And I always say that or a lot of people say it. You're never really in trouble till you lose on home ice, right? But it's really hard to be confident in, you know, for me, my Bruins to win the series bet that I placed a couple of days ago. Not feeling great about that one, Frank. Yeah, it doesn't look good. And what exactly was the injury with Antti Ranta? Like, what what did he hurt there? It was very odd. It looked like he was, it looked like he was bleeding a little bit around his mouth. But you're right. It was odd that he didn't even come back into the game. I don't, it didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, we've had some weird goalie moments, and we'll have more on that a little bit later in the show. Our fourth topic here to round out the opening segment, game twos, or sorry, yeah, game twos tonight. New York coming off the triple OT loss. Florida coming off a stunning 
series opening loss to the Washington Capitals as well. Frank, who's facing more pressure to win tonight? And I'll say this, maybe it's vulgar. Who would be the most screwed if they lost game two? I think the Florida Panthers. I believe, you know, history at that point, real doubt creeps in if the Panthers somehow lose game two. This is the President's Trophy winner that was an offensive juggernaut this season. And I think a lot of people had some questions, Tyler, about how this team that set the NHL record for goals scored in the salary cap era crushed it, in fact. How would their game translate to postseason play? Would they be able to to you know be successful in tense and tight games and tight moments? 39 and 0 this season, Tyler. They had they were when they were leading after two periods. They blow that game one against the Washington Capitals. And I think the doubt has already crept in, but if they go down two-nothing and lose both games on home ice with that series shifting uh, to Washington. I think that the Panthers could be in big, big trouble. Uh, Sam Bennett was saying after the game, you know, this is going to be a long series. Like who envisioned heading into this series, probably not even the Panthers, if they're being honest, that this would be a long series. So um, as much as I'd like to say the New York Rangers going up against Louis Domingue as the third goaltender for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I still think the pressure is squarely on Florida here to get back to level ground, do exactly what the 2014 President's Trophy winning Boston Bruins did, lose the first game, go on to win four straight, put it behind you, move forward and continue your march. See, I'm going to disagree with you, actually. Just what we know about this Panthers team from the regular season is when they get hot, they are impossible to beat. And I look at them and go, you know, if they were to go down to nothing, Washington's a team that's been inconsistent throughout the year. I could still see a way where the Panthers just go pedal to the floor and rattle off four straight wins somehow for the Rangers tonight. If you do not beat a Penguins team that's starting Louis Domingue, and I get his numbers were good in the American League. He was good in that triple OT game. But if you can't beat a team that's starting Louis Domingue, what are you going to do later in the series when it's Tristan Jari between the pipes? Fair question, but just point to the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightning against the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. Not many people will remember that the Blue Jackets were on the outside of the playoff picture looking in at some point in March that season, and the Lightning were one of the best regular season teams of all time with 128 points. They were swept. I think that recent history becomes a thing. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Lightning, they evened up their series yesterday with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're going to dig into that a little bit more with the All-32 and our friend David Alter. Always a pleasure to welcome David Alter into the show. And the man is so busy, he's doing this hit from his car. That's how committed he is. Uh, David from the Leafs Nation. All 32 delivered by DoorDash as well. Uh, Wayne Simmons talked after the game about, you know, taking two penalties and it cost them two goals. You know, there was talk about what the Leafs did wrong, but I kind of watched that game and went, I think Tampa Bay just did a lot right. And I view it as Tampa Bay winning that game and making a statement versus, you know, maybe Toronto losing. What was your read on game two of this series? It was somewhere in between. I, I do think Tampa eventually got their game going, but it took a while. Like throughout the entire first period, I thought the Leafs were the better team at five on five. And if it wasn't for that that late goal at the end of the period and a couple of other things that went against them, that that I think Toronto kind of missed a, a real opportunity here to continue to catch Tampa uh, sleeping a little bit with that slow start. But they did find their game in that second period. And 
their goaltending. That was really the, the 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 hero for Tampa there. Even though they got the scoring and they did all of that, it was Andre Vasilevsky who was really saving them in that opening period. And then that highlight reel save on Timothy Lilligren early in the second period as Toronto was trying to find an equalizer. All those things, I think, helped push Tampa to find what Tampa was, which was the world beaters, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, and uh, eventually get them going back into it. So I think I think Toronto really did lose a, a really good opportunity here to go two up in the series. So, David, as the series shifts to Tampa, I think it's probably fair to say still, though, that the Leafs are in a really good spot. They won uh, game one on home ice, and now um, Tampa goes to their home building. But, you know, I think everyone on the Leafs roster and, and throughout their front office were expecting a big pushback from the Lightning in game two. How, how would you assess the sort of psyche or, or state of the Leafs at the moment, knowing that was coming and yet not really still being able to handle it? Yeah, I think they've got a pretty good handle on the fact that this was going to be tough and that this was going to be a a not-so-easy series in terms of how many games it might go and and the challenge that it presents. I think perhaps the most surprising thing for them right now and what head coach Sheldon Keefe talked about today was the fact that there's been so many penalties called early on in this series and some of the issues there where a lot of their identity, which is a strong five-on-five game, is not really showing especially in that game too. So uh, some discipline issues, some things like that, that kind of got Toronto in, in a little bit of a funk. They feel like they can correct, so they feel pretty good about it in that regard. Uh, how they adjust to the line matches going on the road is something that's going to be really interesting for, for to see how Sheldon Keefe handles that because at home he's he's been able to kind of shield some guys, but um, looking for a good solid fourth line and a bit of a different mix that's going to be a challenge. But in terms of where where they feel, they seem to have a pretty good feel for, for where their game is at and, and that they're prepared for this series. But I, I think from an officiating standpoint, perhaps the the fact that so many penalties are being called and, and how they kind of have to adjust to their special teams is, is probably their big, biggest challenge at this point. You talked about Andre Vasilevsky and just how sensational he was in game two. I mean, that's a guy who when he's when the Lightning are coming off a loss, his goals against average is like below 1.5. It's insane. In the other crease, a guy like Jack Campbell coming in, there were a lot of people wondering what the Leafs were going to get between the pipes. Well, it was a shutout in game one and he allows five in game two. Has Campbell shown in these first two games that there's no reason for Leafs fans to maybe be concerned about what they're going to get between the pipes? Or did that or did game two change anything about that? You know, I didn't see a lot of doubt or fault lay the blame on someone like Campbell for some of the goals he gave up. Perhaps, you know, if you want to be a top five, top 10 goalie in the league and want to be among the best, sometimes you really do have to make a huge save that turns the tide similar to what Vasilevsky did early in that second period. And so maybe there is some criticism on that. But in terms of bad goals or anything that he could have done differently, I believe we may have lost David Alter here based on that screenshot. I think we have. Um, So I guess that will be a wrap on the all 32. I had a question about Matthews and Marner and how they've combined for 10 points. And in previous playoff runs in the entire first round, they never combined for more than 10 points. Uh, So maybe I'll just throw that your way, Frank, to wrap up the segment. 
what what have you seen from Marner and Matthews? And have they maybe you know there was some doubt about a sp- specifically Marner, his ability to maybe come through in big moments in the playoffs, but five points in two games, the Leafs stars have not been the problem. No, not at all. And I think that's such a positive, even just to get that monkey off your back if you're Mitch Marner for game one. Uh, breaking that 18-game goal drought was so big. It just allows you to just relax, you know, exhale, feel some positivity and some confidence heading into the rest of the series. And it was nice to just be able to do it so early in the round so that the questions don't keep building. So uh, fully expect Matthews and Marner to be at their sort of normal contribution level now. Um, You know, you've gotten the monkey off your back. Now just go out and play. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the big thanks to David Alter for joining us for another edition of the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. You know the promo codes DFODD and DFODDUS. 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order when you use those two. This has been another edition of the All 32. All right, Frank, let's dig into our daily face-off inbox question. Hashtag AskDFO, the one series going on tonight that we haven't touched, or one of the series we haven't touched on yet, the Colorado Avalanche and the Nashville Predators. Our friends at PointsBet Canada, the odds on the Avs to win this series is minus 3,000. That means you would have to wager $3,000 just to make a $100 profit on this series. The Avs put up seven in game one. The question is, how many goals for the Avs tonight? And will the Preds be able to keep it closer than it was in game one? I think the Avs could hit this over of six and a half on their own, like pretty much like they did in game one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like the response from Matt Duchesne specifically uh, from the Preds to finish off game one, and it got a little bit chippy. Um, I just don't think the Preds can compete with Connor Ingram or David Riddick in net against this avalanche team that just is rolling right along. I think they're just going to put their head down, not take their foot off the pedal, and it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You, early in the year, you always warned me about betting against a team that got smoked their last game out. I remember there was a couple of times like I was betting on or against Columbus after they got smoked and it burnt me. But I'm, I, I don't think the Preds are going to be able to bounce back in any sort of meaningful way tonight. It's seven for the Avs. I, I could see him put, converting the touchdown again in game two of this series. Uh, speaking of betting, let's dig into our daily best daily bets segment courtesy of points bet Canada. And I got three plays lined up. So let's dig into them. And it's going to be another busy night in the NHL. I am starting with the Rangers and the Penguins. And I'm actually starting with my player prop today. It's Mika Zabinijad over half an assist. He had two last game. He hit this in four of six and seven of 10 to close out the regular season as well. He's been a very consistent assist producer this season. I've bet on him a handful of times and it usually seems to work out for me. Uh, the assist game has not been kind to me. I bet on Giroux a couple nights ago. He scored. I bet on Bergeron last night. He scored twice. So just doing that basic math, maybe you don't want to bet on Zabanishad to get an assist. Bet on him to score a hat trick tonight. But in uh, all seriousness, I do like him to pick up an apple and plus 115 is a solid payout. I'm also going out to the Colorado game, and it's hard to find value. They are minus 380 on the money line. Even the puck line isn't paying great at minus 140. But one bet that's close to even money is the Avs to win the first period. You can see it right there, the three-way money line paying minus 110. 
They were up five nothing after the first period in game one. I think it is fully reasonable to think they could be up at least one nothing or at least by one goal in this game. Again, five in game one. I think the Avs will have their pedal to the, will have the pedal to the floor and they should be up after the first period. I like that payout. I'm going to wrap it up with a bounce back performance from the Florida Panthers. And I'm taking them actually on the puck line. If you go back through the last two months of the regular season, the Panthers only lost back to back games once. I don't think it's happening again. They've been good on home ice. This has been a good team throughout the year. I don't think they let game two slip against the Washington Capitals. Even money or close to it on the puck line isn't great, but I'm confident enough in the Panthers finding a way to bounce back in a meaningful way here in game two of the series. So it's a Mika's advantage at assist, Colorado to win the first period, and Florida on the puck line are my three plays today, Frank creative way to get around the abs being such prohibitive favorites so uh interested to see how that first period plays out i don't think we've seen a first period bet from you all season long no i i really haven't touched them too much because usually the value is not there usually the first period is just a crapshoot right a lot of times it's just a grind fest and it's zero zero or one one but i really do think colorado being those big favorites minus 110 is a solid price uh let's wrap up the show with a little bit of garbage time frank saravalli what do you got for me so uh, it's actually an interesting wrinkle when it comes to playoffs. And I think, you know, it's easy to think with how the world has changed a little bit that COVID testing isn't really impacting the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it is, but the NHL teams are finding a way to work around it. So take the Edmonton Oilers, for instance. They're not flying nonstop on their Air Canada plane charter flight from Edmonton to LA. They're actually flying to uh vancouver and bussing into washington state and then taking another flight from washington down to la and the reason for that is you don't need covid testing if you are crossing the border by vehicle as opposed to by air it's happened a lot for other teams during the regular season the toronto maple leafs are mimicking this as well they're bussing to buffalo and then flying to tampa the Toronto Blue Jays have been doing this a lot. They've been bussing to Buffalo. And then, for instance, even a really short flight to Cleveland to continue their series. Um, they're just, that's the way around COVID testing. So the NHL doesn't require testing as it relates to COVID protocol. They did away with that when they amended the policy or protocol just a few months back. And since then, teams are like, well, on the off chance that one of our players is asymptomatic and has COVID, We'd rather just sort of not know. And so um, provided that the player is not exhibiting symptoms, it's not something that they have to worry about. So that's their way to get around testing. And in this case, uh, it requires a few extra steps, potentially some headaches for some of these teams. But at the same time, Tyler, it might mean keeping a player or a bunch of players in the lineup, giving your team a better chance to win anything to get a competitive advantage my question is is all the equipment flying to or do these poor equipment managers have to load up a bus and then unload a bus in an hour just to get all the stuff back on the plane yeah my guess is the equipment is coming right with them as well so they're unloading loading it's a lot of extra work for all the guys that are making everything happen behind the scenes Someone needs a bonus. That's all I know. Uh, Frank, there's one series. We have a minute here to wrap up the show. There's one series we didn't touch on today, and that's Calgary, Dallas, the war of words in the media with Klingberg and Anderson. Do we get Rasmus versus John round two tonight? I don't think so. I think a lot of this was made in the last couple of days through the media. Um, I'd be surprised if Klingberg actually wants to square off with Anderson 
I know that Daryl Sutter's message was just play. So, um, you know, unless something happens organically and there's a reason to do it, I don't know that these two guys are just going to square off just to do it. The media making a bigger deal out of something than it is that, we that doesn't sound do right, that. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to be a wrap on the daily face-off show for May 5th. Enjoy another night of wild Stanley cup playoff action. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com as well. And we'll be back with a fresh show tomorrow morning afternoon. Thanks for watching the daily face-off show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.